0: Well, hey church, go ahead and have a seat. It's good to be with you today. My name is Josh, one of the pastors on staff. Um, But before we get started this morning, uh, what I want to do is kind of give you an update on some things that have happened at Providence over the last few months. Uh, We've partnered with Bosman Intermediate. We've partnered with Interfaith of the Woodlands uh, to uh, supply and to give back um, to those in need. And so this last Christmas, we partnered with Bosman and we supplied gifts uh, for over 100 kids this last Christmas, um, both things that they needed and things that they wanted. So over 300 gifts were provided um, by Providence North Community Church to these kids. They got to open them on Christmas Day and it was a special day for them. It really was cool. And so, um, not only that, but back in August, we supplied Um, Over 75 kids with uh, school supplies. And then over Thanksgiving, we uh, supplied over 500 pounds of food and $1,000 in gift cards to seniors in need through Interfaith of the Woodlands. And that's all because of Providence North, right? That's all because of what God is doing in and through the body of Providence North. It's because of your generosity. Um, that these people got to experience something this Christmas and throughout the holidays and at the school year uh, that they may not have had before. So I thank you. Thank you for your generosity um, and and doing all this with us as a church. Uh, It's an honor to serve alongside you for the expansion of God's kingdom. So thank you for doing that. This morning, moving on, uh, my hope and prayer is that over the last week, uh, you got to enjoy yourselves. That you got to enjoy yourself spending time with family and friends. You got to enjoy celebrating, eating, opening gifts. But most importantly, my prayer is that each of you had time to dwell and meditate on the fact um, that God is with us. Exactly what we've been studying and looking at this Advent season. That God, the uncreated creator. The God that put the cosmos into movement. The God that created the heavens and the earth. The oceans and the mountains. God came to rescue us and invite us to be in relationship with him. God came to be with us. That alone is an amazing and beautiful thought, and it's something we should celebrate every day, something we should look forward to when we wake up in the morning. Quite frankly, it's something that we should enjoy. We should enjoy the fact that God is with us. Or in other words, we should enjoy God. And what we're going to see today in the Scriptures is that God wants to be enjoyed. God's desires and even he desires and even commands us to enjoy Him. And so maybe you've never thought about that before. Maybe you never thought about the fact that we were created and purposed to enjoy God. For some of you, you may have put God into a category where you know you should have Him in your life, but you're not really sure how you're going to enjoy Him. So you may have the right understanding, and this is true, that you are meant and purposed to glorify God. We were made to obey God, we were made to serve God, we were made to love God. But maybe you've never thought about the fact that you were created to enjoy Him or how you would actually go about doing that. And here's the issue with that thought or that limited thought process. You might say that you're all about, you're all about glorifying God and obeying Him and serving Him and loving Him, but the truth is, is that we can't do any of those things unless we actually enjoy Him. You can't. Our enjoyment is what overflows into our ability to obey and love and serve Him. And one of the biggest things that God commands us to do is to enjoy him. And over and over again in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, it says we are to enjoy God. Psalm 37 says this, delight yourself in the Lord. You should have delight and it should be in the Lord. Psalm 32 says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all who are upright in heart. Psalm 67 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Why? because of what it says in Psalm 16. In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All throughout the Bible, it says that God is supposed to be enjoyed. And one of the best ways we can enjoy God is through his word. Again, one of the best ways that we can enjoy God is through his word. Listen to what it says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. According to Psalm 1, the man that is blessed, or in other words, the man that is most happy, is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who meditates on it. And so God is saying that he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be incredibly happy, and the best pathway or avenue for you to get there is through his word. It's through enjoying God's word. God doesn't want reading of his word to just be something that you check off on the to-do list in the morning. It's not meant to be in the same category as brushing your teeth. Our approach to God's word should look like how it's described in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says this, our approach to God's word should be like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Peter is saying our desire to be in the word should be like that, how an infant longs for milk. Who's been around an infant lately? I don't know, see a few in the back there, right? Uh, my daughter, Bella, I can tell you right away when she wakes up in the morning, she is not looking for her to-do list to check off. She is longing for that milk. You can feel it. You can hear it. The first thing she wants is that milk. She's going to let you know that she's longing for it. And so Peter is saying that our longing for the word should be just like that. That it's not something we put on a check mark, that we put a check mark next to, but rather look at it as something that sustains us, something that provides life for us, something that allows our fruit to grow, something that allows us to prosper. And so much like Bella craves and starves for milk in the morning, we should have that same desire for the word of God. And so I'm going to ask you a question, and perhaps this is something you can talk with your spouse with afterwards. You can take to your community groups, your discipleship groups, your friends, answer this question, ask each other this question, but when was the last time you craved the word of God? When was the last time you starved for the word of God, like it says in 1 Peter, where they long for that milk? or much like what we read in Psalm 1 where a tree that thirsts for water it plants itself next to a stream when was the last time you thirsted for God's word church God's word is not meant to check off on a list it's something you desperately depend on and enjoy it's one of the most important ways for us to enjoy God and one of the passages that best shows us that is Psalm 19 and so if you have your bibles this morning i encourage you to open up to Psalm 19 open up your phones there are also, the verses are going to be on the screen behind me. Now, to give you some context, David is the author of this psalm. And what I love about this psalm is that David wants us to know all about the different ways that God has revealed himself to us. All the different ways we can see God and know about God and enjoy God. And David's going to start out by the way that God has revealed himself to us in nature, just in the world around us. So let's look at Psalm 19. We're going to be in verse 1, starting there. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night by night reveals knowledge. David is saying that the sky proclaims God's handiwork. The sky displays God's glory, especially at night. Now, for us Houstonians, this is a pretty difficult thing to see, right? All the city lights keep us from actually seeing the stars at night. We might see one or two of them. My father and I were on the back porch this Christmas, and we only saw three stars that night. But if you've ever had a chance to go out into the country, maybe you've been in the mountains, it is amazing when it's a clear sky, and you can see up there. It's like a whole new world opens up. You can almost see, you can see the Milky Way at times. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's breathtaking when God's handiwork is on full display. It's amazing to see the glory of God fully declared in the heavens when you see all those stars open up. So, unfortunately for us Houstonians, we have to travel to go see that. But in David's time, this was just a normal Monday night. There was no city lights to keep them from seeing God's handiwork in the skies. Every single person in the world could see the glory of God being proclaimed in the heavens above. And that's why David writes that. And this is why he goes on in verse 3. He says, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Now what David is saying is that everybody again can see this. Everybody can hear God's voice through his creation. You can see it as the sun shines off in the morning dew, or you can hear it as the wind blows through the tops of trees. Verse four says, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Everybody should be able to experience God through his creation. His creation stretches to the end of the world. There's not a square inch of the world that God's hand has not touched. Going on, he says, in them he has set a tent for the sun. He has set a tent for the sun. This is beautiful. Look at these words. Verse 5, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. David is saying that our experience and enjoyment of God, especially in the morning when the sun rises, is like a wedding. The sunrise every single morning is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Now, that might sound odd to us, but I want us to think about this for a minute. What's the one moment in a wedding when everyone stops what they're doing? They stop talking. The room goes silent. There's a certain song that begins to play. Oftentimes, they stand, they turn, they look. What's that one moment? It's when the bride enters, right? The bride appears, the bride appears from the back, everyone silences, you might hear whispers of oohs and ahs and oh, she's beautiful. It's the most dramatic part of the wedding. Now the groom is already standing at the altar, no one cares about the groom, everyone's just waiting to see this bride come through the door. But back in David's time, this was exactly the opposite. In David's time, the bride was already at the altar and it was the groom that everyone was anxiously awaiting to come in the room. Coming to walk down the aisle, the groom would enter the room and the trumpets would start blaring. Everybody is rubbernecking to see what the groom is wearing. How amazing are the colors of his robes. It was an absolutely dramatic experience. And what David is conveying to us in the scriptures of Psalm 19 is that we have 365 days a year to experience this dramatic unveiling of his creation. Maybe not today with all the rain that's out there. But every sunrise in the morning, you can feel the warmth of the sun on your cheeks. You can bask in God's glory. And we have that opportunity every single day. It's something you can experience. And so, do you do that? Do you go outside? Do you look at the sky in the mornings like you're anxiously awaiting a bridegroom to enter the room so that you can enjoy God's creation? There's no easier way to enjoy God through his creation than just by walking outside and looking up in the sky. Because it can never be taken away from you. It can never be taken away from you. I love this quote that I read this week about that fact, that it can't be taken away from you. During the French Revolution, Jean Bon Saint-André, I don't know. You like that? A revolutionist said this to a peasant. He said, I will have your steeples pulled down that you may no longer have any objects by which you may be reminded of your old superstitions. And the peasant said this, but you cannot help but leave us the stars. The power and glory of God's creation that's on full displays for all to see can never be taken from you. And so this week, I want to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you to do just that. All right. You might have to wake up a little bit earlier than usual. If you have kids, this shouldn't be a problem. You do have to go outside, but someday this week, set your alarm, go outside, and just take in God's glory. Watch as his creation unveils himself to you and feel the warmth on your skin. It's amazing. It's meant to be enjoyed. That's what David's telling us. It's meant to be enjoyed. Now, here's the thing. David is painting this absolutely beautiful picture for us, right? We've been given this incredible gift of enjoying God through His creation. The sky at night, the sunrise in the morning, these are absolutely beautiful things, and they do fully display the glory and power of God through His creation. But we must understand one thing there is a limit to how much we can experience God through His creation, there's a ceiling to it. David is showing us that through His creation, God is glorious, His creation is glorious. But he's going to show us in these next few verses that the creator is that much more glorious and should be that much more enjoyed. And we know this because David starts talking about God's word and how you experience his word in verse 7. In fact, David begins using a different name for God in this verse. In the first six verses, David refers to God in the original text as El. It means mighty one or powerful one. But in verse 7, David takes a turn and begins referring to God as Yahweh. All right, so that's God's personal name. That's the name he wants his children to use him by, his friends, his family to call him. And so what David is showing us is that through this simple change of names is that the way to experience God as a person is through his word. So the first six verses show us that everyone can enjoy God through his creation Everyone, not a single person on earth is hidden from the knowledge of God through his creation because every single person has the ability to see the sunrise and the stars at night. But you can only know God personally through his word. All right, so let's look there. Verse 7 says this, the law of the, the, law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh, as David says, is perfect and reviving for the soul. The law of the Lord, the word of God is reviving for the soul. Now, why do we need that? Because we need to be revived all the time. Am I right? Ephesians 2 says that we are all born dead. We are all spiritually dead. That's the way we start out in life. Our response to spiritual things when we are first born is like that of a dead person. You can poke us, you can prod us, but we're not going to move an inch. We're not going to budge until God comes and breathes life into our lifeless bodies. And the way he does that is through his word. It's the law of the Lord, the law of Yahweh that revives us and gives us life. Moreover, it's the law of Yahweh that keeps reviving us. Pay close attention to that text. This is present tense. The law of the Lord is reviving to the soul. This is every day. This is the here and now. And so why is this so important to us? Because every day we experience problems. Every day we experience pressures. We experience temptation. And so how often do we need the encouragement of the word? How often do we need God's grace because of that? Every single day. The scriptures say that God's mercies are new every single morning. That's because we need a new dose of God's grace every single day. Every single morning. And that only comes through God's word. We're not like bears that can hibernate. We can store up enough fat for the winter that we can hibernate all through the spring. We can't store up enough of God's grace to get us from winter to spring, right? We can't drink enough water to keep us hydrated for the next few weeks. We can't breathe in enough air to keep us alive for the next few hours. Therefore, our need for God's grace and his mercies are just like that. We need them day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And here's what I've noticed personally. On the days when I don't take the time to be in God's word, when I don't make it a priority in my life, then this is what happens. I'm less happy. I'm more selfish. I'm more self-centered. I'm more impatient. I'm more critical of those around me. Anyone that spends time with me, or that spends that's that spends enough time around me, can tell that I have not been in God's Word, especially my wife. And so, when I don't enjoy God's mercies and His grace on a daily basis, then the truth is, I'm less grace-filled. I'm less happy. And why is that? Well, David's going to show us in the next part of verse seven. He says this. Here's why I am less grace-filled. That says this, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, what this doesn't mean is that it makes a stupid person wise. That's not what David is saying here. Okay, The Hebrew word that David is using here is referring to an open door. What David is saying is that without God's word, my head is like a big, wide, open door. And the problem with that is that any and all thoughts can flow in and out of it. Any thought that the enemy or my flesh wants to put in there, my brain and my heart are wide open. I'm literally inviting those thoughts into my brain and into my heart when I'm not allowing God's word to be in my life. You see, without God's word, my head is an open door. For instance, there's some thoughts that run through my head when I'm not in God's word, allowing him and I'm not allowing him to guide my thoughts. And these might resonate with you. When I'm not in God's word, these are things that go through my head. You're not good enough for this. You should just quit. This isn't what you've been created to do. You aren't living up to the standards of the world. This is too much. You deserve more. All these crazy and unreasonable thoughts run through my head. And I ask this question, when those thoughts run through your head, does that make you more or less happy? Thoughts like that, it's less happy. If you're anything like me, these kind of thoughts make you miserable for both yourself and those around you. And so David is showing us in these verses that God's word shuts that open door to those thoughts, those thoughts from the enemy, those thoughts from the flesh, and it opens your mind to his wisdom and his truth. It makes wise the simple. And not only that, but God's word brings you joy in life. It brings you joy in life. Look at verse 8. It says the precepts of the Lord are right. The word of God, the law of God, the law of Yahweh is right, rejoicing the heart. God's word produces rejoicing in our hearts. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word gives light to your eyes. David, in biblical times, this was kind of just a figure of speech. When they said you had light in your eyes, basically what they meant was that you were alive. Because they believe that when you died, the light in your eyes was extinguished. So when you, when, if you were dead, the figure of speech would have been, you have dark eyes. Or in other words, you're dead. So what David is saying here is that God's word brings joy to our hearts and life to our eyes. God's word produces joy and life. And he moves on in verse nine. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean, <clears throat> enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Do you see what David's talking about here? What is he talking about? You see it in verse 9. Put verse 9 back up if you would. Verse 9. The rules of the Lord are true. David's talking about rules here. He's talking about laws. He's comparing God's laws to some of the most delicious things that you can think of. And so that others, as he's sharing this, that others would understand just how amazing the word of God is. Straight from a honeycomb, David says. Sweeter than the honey from a honeycomb. That's how amazing God's laws are. So what is that for you? Think about that. What's the most amazing thing you've ever tasted? It might be a home-cooked meal. It might be an amazing dessert. It might be barbecue, for all I know. Whatever it is for you, what David is saying is God's law is better than any of that. Now, remember, God's talking about rules and regulations, right? This is incredible. I, I, this blows my mind. In Psalm 9, 119, David says that he will praise God. Listen, he will praise God as he learns of his law. David is saying that he's going to literally sing out loud the words of praise, the words as, and praise him as he learns of God's law. When was the last time in your life you sang about a law? When was the last time you sang with joy about the speed limit? When was the last time you sang about tax laws? Never. We tend to hate laws because they limit our abilities. When we can't go the speed limit we want on the roads, it limits our abilities to get where we want to go as fast as we can. When we have to pay taxes at the end of the year, we don't like it because we can't spend our finances. It limits the way that we can use our finances the way that we want to. So typically we hate the laws in this world because they limit us. Which means when we get to God's law, we tend to have the same reaction. There's a lot of people that look at God's law about enjoying the things of this world And they say, why does God have to ruin my fun? It's not like I'm hurting anybody. Why does he have to take this away from me? Why does he have to take this pleasure from me? Why does he have to take this intimacy from me? Why does he have to do that? Or maybe for you, you look at God's law about honesty and integrity and how that takes things away from you. You're like, I can't be honest with my spouse. I can't be honest with my friends about that. They'll think less of me. You see, we tend to think that if we follow God's law, then we lose. To us, laws take things away. But if we begin to think like David does, then we understand that God's laws aren't taking anything away from us, but rather they are giving us life. God doesn't give us rules to ruin our fun. He gives us rules to increase our happiness. And that's why David says that God's laws are more to be desired than gold. We sang about it earlier. Or we're going to sing about it later, actually, in the next song, giving you a little preview. We're going to talk about you can have the gold. You can have the silver. Take it. All I want is you, my Lord. And that's what David is saying. Gold is, the gold is less desired than God's law. Now, there's a lot of things in this world to be desired. But in David's time, this is what people desired most, gold. Because gold demonstrated status. It demonstrated power and success. But for us today, there's so many things competing for our desires and our attention, even right after we wake up, right? Right when we wake up, there's so much competing for our desires or for our attention. We have a Facebook feed. We have the Instagram feed. We have the news feed. We have the sports feed. We have the email inbox. We have text messages, fantasy football, you name it. Whatever it is for you, there's so many things that are competing for your attention. And I'm not even talking about kids yet. So many things that vie for our attention and vie for our desires right when we wake up. And we think that all those things will somehow give us more than our Bible will. Your Bible is probably somewhere in the mix of all those things, but those other things, they seem like they're going to give you more exciting, fresh, and new things than your Bible because guess what? The Bible hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. You're like, I've read it. I've read that. There's nothing new in there for me. That's how I feel sometimes. I know I'm a pastor. I shouldn't feel that way. But when I wake up, I really want to read the news some days. I really want to check my fantasy football score. I really want to know what others ate for their last meal. (laughs) Because there's something that happened or someone posted something that's exciting, it's fresh, and it's new, and I need to know about it. And every single morning, I would rather wake up and read the news or scroll through the gram... (laughs) That's what kids are calling it, the gram. (laughs) But I'd rather do that than be in God's Word. And you want to know what that's like? That's like taking an old, crumpled up $100 bill and trading it for a shiny new quarter. That's what I'm doing when I trade my Bible for my newsfeed. Isn't that ridiculous? That's what my flesh wants every single morning. But God's word is so much more than any of that. Any of those things that vie for your attention, God's word is so much better than that. And here's why. Because it says this in verse 12. It says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Church, it's only through God's word that we meet Christ, and it's only Christ who can make us blameless and innocent of great transgression. Because as it says, without God's word, who can discern his errors? A fish can't tell that he is wet. A pig can't tell that he's dirty, and we can't tell ourselves that we are sinners without God's word. (laughs) We can't. We need God's word in our lives to reveal to us who we really are sometimes so that we can confess and turn and repent from our selfishness. And so maybe you're like, that's great, Josh, but I don't really want to think about my sins. It sounds too depressing. It's kind of a downer. It's painful. It's scary. That's all true. Those are all true things. And so here's my encouragement to you. Allowing the word of God to reveal to you both the hidden and open sins in your life. It's not depressing, but rather it's liberating. It brings freedom in your life. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. We think we have control over our lives, and we think we demonstrate that control when we chase after the things that we desire. And what David is saying is, no, 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 think again. You've got that completely backwards. You're not in control of your desires. Your desires are in control of you. They've got dominion over you. We are slaves to our desires, to our flesh. We are natural-born slaves to sin, and that's a terrible place to be. And so if you're in here this morning and it's been a while since you've enjoyed God. It's been a while since you felt the closeness of God in your life. And quite frankly, you feel dead inside when it comes to anything about God in your life. If that is you this morning, then my guess is that there's something in your life that is blocking you or impeding you from experiencing that. And more often than not, there's some sort of sin that is festering There's some sort of sin that's breeding inside your heart and in your mind, and it's keeping you from truly experiencing what we've been talking about all morning. There is a sin that is keeping you from enjoying God, both through his creation and through his word. It might be some sort of secret sin in your life that you've been burying deep, hoping that no one finds out about it. It might be the way that you've treated someone in your life, someone that you've wronged, and you have yet to admit to yourself that you've wronged them and sinned against them. Perhaps it's something that we all struggle with, which is this general idolatry. So often we choose the lesser things in our life and give them too much of our attention and too much of our hearts, making them gods. And so if that is you this morning, then I'm pleading with you to take a step in the right direction. Lay down your pride. Lay down your self-centered thoughts and begin taking your sin to God. Start by reading his word, allowing his word to guide you and reveal to you where you need to confess and repent. He will receive your confession and he'll receive it with grace and mercy and love. That's a promise from his scriptures. I want to encourage you to allow God's law to bring joy into your life as it says. Allow it to bring light to your eyes. You may be afraid because in the short term, happiness and freedom might cease to exist, especially when we begin confessing and repenting of sins in our life that are bearing down on us. There is truth to that. Our sin always has repercussions and consequences that we must deal with in order to learn from. But in the long run... What the law of God, the word of God does is it, convict, it convicts you, it repuce, reproofs you, it leads you to confession, it leads you to repentance, it leads you to freedom, it leads you to his mercy, his grace, it breaks you free from the dominion of sin in your life. Because it's only the word of God that is going to be able to free us. It's only the word of God that is going to give you your life. It's only the word of God that can point you to Jesus and open you up to really enjoying him. John 20, 31 says this. It says, these are written. These words are written. And I don't believe that it's just talking about the words in the book of John here, but rather the entire Bible. It says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Through his word, you get to Jesus. And through Jesus, you get eternal life. And that begins today, life to the fullest. And here's why. Here's why we need his word. Here's why we need his encouragement every single day. Because you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of peace, of power, of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is a gift of God amen church where else can you get encouragement like that only in God's word Where else can you turn to receive mercy and grace and love like this? Only in God's word. And once you begin to take all this in, once you begin to experience all these things, the beauty of God's creation, the freedom from sin, the joy and light of life he gives you, you can't help but desire to be in his presence. You can't help but praise him. You can't help but enjoy him. And that's why David says finally in verse 14, he says let the words of my mouth and the med- meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O oh Lord my rock my redeemer It's through God's word that we can enjoy him And so I'm going to get practical for just a few seconds all right As we've unpacked these passages of this scripture David has no doubt given us these very lofty thoughts to ponder but he's also given us some very practical ways to enjoy him So I want us to break these down into these small challenges, kind of these action items that you p- can begin to incorporate into your daily life so that you can begin to enjoy God more fully starting today. So with all these, I want you to start where you are, okay? Start where you are. Perhaps for some of you, these, this sermon may have included some brand new ideas for you, things you've never really thought of before. And so you're starting from square one. That's okay. Start where you are. Or perhaps what was spoken today has resonated with your heart for some time. But here's the truth. Enjoying God's presence is eternal. It's immeasurable. Your enjoyment of him can continuously grow. All right, so start where you are. First thing, first challenge for you this week. I want you to wake up a few minutes early. I want you to step outside into the silence and stillness and newness of the day and simply be still in his creation. I want you to enjoy it. My wife encouraged me this morning as I was here earlier to just step outside and smell the rain. Enjoy that smell, that creation of God. Step outside and enjoy his creation this week. When the sun rises, look at the skies as if it's a bridegroom entering, exiting from his chamber and entering into the room. This dramatic unveiling. Enjoy his creation this week. Number two, I want you to choose a habit. I want you to choose one habit First thing in the morning, to replace with God's word. So instead of grabbing your phone and checking in on the world's headlines, like I tend to do, start with a few minutes of prayer. Read a passage. Choose to place your desires and attention on him and his word first this week. All right? So change one habit this week. Choose something that you're going to replace with God's word. And finally, pray for God to give you the desires of your heart. Pray he would increase your desire for his word and for his presence, just like David did in verse 14. Pray that the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart would be acceptable in his sight, and then rest in him, because he's your rock and he is your redeemer, all right? Three challenges this week. Church, the scriptures show us that anyone in the world can experience and enjoy God's creation. Anyone can. Everyone can see his power and his glory with every rising sun and every star in the sky. But to truly experience God and enjoy him as a person, to experience him as your creator, your father, your author, your maker, your shepherd, your savior, that happens through his word. That happens when you push aside our desires and our thoughts and we take in each and every precious word that he has for us. Every precious word that's in this book. And we enjoy his presence. Let's pray. Father God, we just... hmm. I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a God that didn't just create for creation's purpose, but you created so that we can enjoy. That you gave us the mountains, you gave us the oceans, you gave us the sky and the sun and the stars, so that we could enjoy what you've created so that we could recognize how mighty and how powerful you are through your simple creation. And so, God, would we be a people that would see that, that we would enjoy that, that we wouldn't just take it for granted, that when we hear the wind blowing through the trees, we would recognize and stop and say, thank you, God, for that beautiful sound. When we hear the thunder and we see the lightning, would we thank you for speaking to us, God, sharing with us your creation. Would we enjoy that? But God, we know that there's a limit to that enjoyment. There's a limit to knowing you through creation. And so God, would we be a people at Providence North? Would the church as a whole nationwide, the church at large be a people that desire to experience and know you through your word? Because we know that that's the, the only way we can experience you as our father, as a person, as our savior is through your word. And so would we be a church that desires deeply the word of God? Would we set aside the little things that we think are gonna give us fresh and new, new ideas and new thoughts? Would we set those aside for your word? Because it is so much more to be desired than gold, even fine Gold. So God, give us the desires of our heart. Would our actions and our thoughts, would it be glorious to you? God, we thank you. We thank you for being our rock, for being our redeemer. God, would we live with a heart abandoned for you and you alone. It's your son's name we pray, amen.